Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Dan Phelps. As a youngster, Dan Phelps grew up in the shadow of the music business, quite literally. Phelps' father was the founder of the Full Sail Recording Workshop, which has since grown into Full Sail University, a technical school that has taught thousands of people how to make a living in the music, film, and television industries. With that much gear and talent around, it's no surprise that the younger Phelps took to music at a young age. He started with drums and eventually switched to guitar, developing an avant-garde and experimental style that has been a trademark for his entire career. Phelps has maintained a true artist's path, lending his talents as a composer, producer, guitarist, audio engineer, and performer to a wide range of artists and situations, with the common thread being his collaborators' willingness to be open-minded in their approach to making music. The last few years have found Phelps diving deeper into his explorations of improvisational composition. His custom-made guitar and laptop-based performance workstation has several unique modifications that allow him to blend electronic music and live recording technology with the full range of expression of the guitar into unique soundscapes that are different every single time. Imagine a one-man electronica jam band that can take you on a musical journey for four minutes, four hours, or anywhere in between. Phelps' foray into live performance technology shows that the seemingly limitless powers of advanced technology can most certainly be used for good. Welcome to Independence Day, Dan Phelps. Hey, Dan. How are Hi. you, man? Doing pretty good. Welcome to Los Angeles. Is it Los Angeles or Seattle? Because it's pretty it, darn rainy outside. It feels a lot like Seattle or London yeah. right now in Los Angeles. Uh, lots of rain. Man, I'm the radio station where I'm like my day job, so, yeah. to, so to speak. We had to move our whole studio across the road to Westwood One because uh, had rain coming in. I told my uh, my supervisor, like, we're going to have to start marching our hosts out two by two, put them <laughs> on the ark. It's actually nice though; we need it desperately, yeah. desperately. So, but you should feel right at home. I absolutely. I was in a coffee shop two days in a row, looking out at the rain, and yeah. I just felt, you know, yeah. Like because a, so you're Seattle based yes. now, and how long have you been in Seattle? About fifteen years. Okay, so a good long while. Yeah, and but you grew up. Your lineage is part of the whole. Phelps family that is the founder of uh, Full Sail. That's right. Yeah. Which is, uh, well, how would you describe it? I would say it's like a, almost like a trade school. It's a college. It's a university, actually. Uh, when Years ago, when I still lived in Orlando and, and uh, grew up around it and worked there, it was like a three or four degree program thing. And now when I go back, it's uh, such an amazing monstrosity. Yeah. That uh, they, they have maybe 20 different online degree programs and all kinds of stuff going on. But you can actually go, I mean, it's not just online. No, you can, you, no, you can go there. physically go there and attend classes. But I guess the reason I say it's a trade school is that it, you know, from at least from my memory, it tends to focus on performing arts or the technical aspects of the performing arts. Oh, absolutely. You, you go for recording engineering or filmmaking. and, and Yeah, and that's get, what I mean. Yeah. You know, I, I don't say trade school to like denigrate in any way. <laughs> I say that as a, as a positive thing. Like yeah. I think, you know, we live in a highly specialized world. Yeah. And people who, you know, a lot of times, you know, you go to a regular college. I remember being frustrated in college because, at least initially, when I thought I knew everything, of course, you know, I, you know why do I got to learn that stuff? You know, I just want to do this. Yeah. Right? But then, you know, you learn all that other stuff to make you a well-rounded human being, but then you really do wind up coming all the way back around and doing this. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's definitely one of the cool things that I've learned from growing up around that is just really focusing on what 
you want to do and putting your the majority of your energy into that. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of a powerful, powerful thing. Now, having music around that must have affected you just around all the time, because I don't know much about your dad or your like how that started. Like, the, mm-hmm. was he also a musician? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, when he was younger, he was a uh, an artist and a producer and um, had record labels and, and did all that kind of stuff, which was kind of like a winding road that led him to start full sail. Um, so, yeah, there, there were guitars around the house and always records playing, and, and he was always... Uh, uh, like he he turned me on to Smashing Pumpkins when I was okay. nineteen. So for, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's hip, hip hop. Yeah, yeah. He watched you know he'd watch Saturday Night Live and see something cool and say, oh, I think my son might like that. It's interesting. Your experience is so different from a lot of people I know. I mean, I am being in Los Angeles. I have a lot of people on the show, both people who live here and people who tour through town who are doing music professionally. And if it came, the music came from their family. Um, there's kind of like two tacks, or it seems mm. like there's two ways mm. it came about. Like their parents were most certainly involved in the industry and still were, and are like your father. Where, in, 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 but it's funny though, because even some of those parents were like, "Son, don't do this. Go do go work at Dairy Queen. Do anything. Don't become part of the music business." But then there's some people who are very supportive of it. Um, but then there's the other type, which is the, the second thing, which is people who, you know, they kind of they might have farted around with it in high school. They had a band or mm. might have done a little mm-hmm. bit, but then kind of gave up on it. And, you know, they're kind of interested in it, but it was just kind of a hobby. Right. You know, and it's interesting to see how that compares and contrasts for each kid in each situation. You know, obviously, you've been doing this pretty much full-time your whole life, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Probably at the age of 15, 16, somewhere in that year, uh, I started working at Full Sail and uh, went from, like, being the kid who organized the tape locker back when there was physical media. And... uh, Shortly after that, started doing all the all of the production music for their advertising, kind of in the advertising department. So yeah. I I learned Pro Tools really early on. I you know learned about all of the recording techniques, and it was kind of an unusual situation from what a lot of people experience because uh, they have gorgeous, I mean, huge studios with giant consoles and tape machines and, and, and gear. And a, a, lot of, a lot of people, I sort of did the opposite of what a lot of people experience. It's like I had a four track later. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I, I started out getting to mess around in, right. in really nice spaces. Yeah. I mean, what a benefit, you know, I mean, the, the, the joke is always, you know, people who want to denigrate the Beatles will say, well, they only did all that stuff on a four track. Right. But they did it on a four track with... Neumann microphones and incredible oh, yeah. compressors and incredible mixers and of course George Martin and inane you know ridiculous levels of talent on totally. top of all that. Yeah. That said, I mean looking back, I mean I knew what a giant SSL console was when I was a kid and I was mar- messing around on my Tascam four track and I just I even then I mean I didn't do a whole lot of work with four tracks because even out of the gate I found them very limiting. Right. I thought the EQ sounded terrible, the microphone preamp sounded terrible. And I knew right out of the gate that there were better things available. Hmm. So I kind of did a couple little projects on the tape thing, and then it was just I, it just sounded so bad that I couldn't bring myself to do much more than that, and didn't really get back into it until I was doing stuff with, I guess there were eight tracks, and then half inch eight tracks right. with mixers and outboard gear, and then ADATs, and then nonlinear uh, digital editing. Yeah. So it's like I kind of skipped the stage too in a way. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. I think limitations can be good. You know, but limitations in terms of sound quality, which I know can be relative if you want to get all existential about it. Right. <laughs> but 
because that's the other thing I want to get to is like when when you play music here, you're going to do some really interesting uh, improvisatory music for us today. The first thing I think we're going to hear in just a second is more of a traditional thing. And why don't we just jump right into that? Like we can kind of sure we'll get more to the improvisatory thing when you do that. So what's this first song you're going to do? You gave us here. This is Bird from your most recent record. Tell me a little bit about this. Okay, well, I, up until now, I've made records that are really uh, not meant to be able to be reproduced live in any way. They're definitely uh, studio creations and, and productions. Uh, and my last record that I put out is called Arc, uh, which this... ARC Arc as opposed to ARK Arc. Exactly, be a different yeah. thing for Rain in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, as in... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we need an Arc to get out of here. Correct, um, Mundo. But... Um, Arc as in uh, as in a curve, as in a story, as in a portion of a story or or a lifetime. I, I like the records that I do to be sort of pictures of uh, the ideas I'm working on and the things I'm feeling at a particular time. Yeah, it's a snapshot. Yeah. Um, so this record started with improvisations with a legendary studio drummer named Jim Keltner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who... Uh, it's a very who, familiar name around this town and every other town, yeah, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a legendary for, for a reason, and uh, kind of, I see him as like a national treasure. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the sort of uh, groundwork or the, the like foundation of this record was getting together and just playing with him. Uh, I did a day of improvising with Jim, and then a second day with Jim and a, a friend of mine named James McAllister, who is another really talented drummer. Uh, two guys named Jim who came from Oklahoma, so it seemed the like, gyms. Yeah, it seemed like there was some synergy there. Uh, and then I took that raw material and and spent a couple of months kind of digging through it, um, f- editing the dead bits out, and and kind of like finding kind of unearthing the, the like hidden intention yeah that's the way i think of it <laughs> <laughs> hidden intention i like that I like uh, that there's your there's your next album title right yeah there, exactly yeah I, it's like do what i mean not what do what i say not what i do or right. something like that um close enough yeah uh so adding overdubs and and sort of creating something out of this this idea so bird is a uh track uh that just has jim on drums and uh which jim Jim Keltner, the Jim Keltner, okay. not, not the James. Um, I think it, I, there's there's something so beautiful about his his playing. He's playing this stuff that kind of sounds like a small tribe of Africans, but yeah. it's just one guy on a drum kit. He was a guy. I mean, part of my musical uh, education, a large part of my musical education, did not come from school, did not come from listening, mm. came from reading liner's notes. Yeah, because when I grew up there, I mean, I hate to say this, there was no internet. <laughs> I couldn't just go to All Music or any number of other websites that just listed who played on every album. Like, yeah. I had to physically, you know, and I was limited by funding because it's like I had to save up my allowance and I'd go buy a, a tape, totally, or an actual album. Yeah, and then like I would pour over those liner notes. You know, okay, who's who's this produced by? Okay, this is recorded in Air Studios in Montserrat. I don't even know where that is or what that is. Okay, so what I is a Montserrat? <laughs> so, yeah, what is what is a Montserrat? So I looked up. You know, uh, in an encyclopedia, a paper one, you know, where's Montserrat? Yeah. And then, you know, there was nothing about Air Studios, but then I connected the dots. Like, okay, well, this guy produced this. I saw that his name also was on this album, but he's not a British artist. So that's like the how I built that on my own network that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's different. I mean, I guess it's, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different now. I was doing the same thing at 13, 14 years old yeah. with CDs. So, yeah. Um, like Peter Gabriel, Daniel Lenoir, who, who's this guy? You know, what else has he done? And kind of, uh, Searching that stuff out. Yeah. And I think he might have worked with some other little Irish band called U2. Exactly. Yeah. Sold a few records with them. Any case, 
This week's guest on Independence Day is Dan Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S, Seattle-based artist, full-service production artist. <laughs> you do production and engineering, and he's getting more into ambient music as well. So this is his track, Bird. The record is Ark. Dan Phelps on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. Come to you Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Standard Time, this time of year. This week's guest, Dan Phelps. Say hello, Dan. Hi. <laughs> hello, Succinct. Dan. Brevity. It's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, you're a Seattle-based singer and, you know, I say singer, songwriter. You don't sing, though, do you I sing? I don't sing. Not a singer, so you're not a singer at all. Seattle-based songwriter, ambient, uh, improvisational guitar player. If I were really pretentious, I'd producer. say that I'd sing with my, with my guitar. But I, 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 don't box me in, man. Yeah, exactly. I speak through my instrument. <laughs> but no, you're very, very talented. Thank um, you. And I, I, we know you, your name first came up on our show uh, sometime a couple years ago because you produced an album uh, by Claire Hawley. Yeah. who we love and is a wonderful human being, very kind soul, and an extremely talented singer and a great songwriter to boot. Uh, the whole package, as we like to say. So you did great work on her record. And that record, remind me, was called? Uh, it was called Time in the Middle. Time in the Middle, yes. And very in your production style. Let's talk about that for a few minutes here. Sure. Uh, I would say, you know, very much like Daniel Lanois, Brian Eno, maybe a little bit of Radiohead. Um, tell me, you know, how do you approach, like, you know, so I come to you with a project. And like, how do you decide how you're going to go with it sonically? Um, well, that that record was unique because there was another co-producer named Jonathan Kingham, who is a really uh, great songwriter and singer and an artist in his own right. And um, he and he and Claire sort of focused on the, the songs themselves. Uh, so in in a normal scenario, probably start with what songs do you have and uh, what like ideas, half-finished things, finished things. I think a lot of times there's even, uh, for songwriters, there's there's ideas or little bits of things that they don't think have merit, but because you come in with fresh ears, you can suddenly hear the potential of something and push that person to to finish it. Uh, right. And uh, but, but in that instance, um, Claire's been writing songs for a long time and she's really good at it and knows her own voice really well, and Jonathan spoke into that process. So for, for me, a lot of the production stuff kind of starts with casting, like who's the engineer? Uh, if there are going to be other musicians on the project, who are they? And you choose them for their kind of talents and proclivities and, and personality because you want to have a good combination of, you want to have a good chemistry when you're all going to be together working hard for right. a week tracking a record. Um, but but Claire's record was was unique also in another way in that uh, it was just Claire and Jonathan and myself playing everything. So we were the band, uh, just kind of like a uh, agile little group of three people. Jonathan plays piano and bass and guitar and, and just all kinds of stuff, and and I play drums and bass and guitar. And um, so we we would basically sit down and get a performance, the three of us, whatever configuration felt right for a particular song, and then use that as our... And Claire is such a good singer that usually the vocal was done, which was amazing because then you're actually working to right. a finished vocal track and you can tell immediately whether something you're doing is going to work or not. That kind of removes the, the guesswork of, or trying to predict the future that comes in a lot of that scenario. Um, so yeah, we would we would get these performances usually with vocals and then say uh, it needs a bass or a guitar thing or a texture and and we worked really fast the whole record was tracked in about a week uh, and, and was and was essentially done in about a week it's no Def Leppard I'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are many different workflows 
when yeah. you get into that studio mode. Um, and, you know, some of that's dictated by budget. Some of it's dictated by all kinds of other constraints. Um, but but to, to one specific point, uh, a thing that a lot of artists do, myself included, uh, the vocal, the lead vocal, will kind of be one of the last things you do. Sure. Before you mix, and then maybe the, maybe the background vocals, or maybe it's somewhere towards the middle. It's like you you tend to do your live tracks with what we call a scratch vocal. Yeah. Which is like a placeholder. It's the melody, and it's there, and it might be eighty percent complete. Um, but that also presupposes the lyrics have to be complete at that point as well. Right. Which is a whole different concept. But I I mean I I've, I've always loved the tabula rasa, rasa I should say, uh, aspect of recording. That it's mm. a blank slate. Yeah, it can be anything you want. At the end, we'll wind up with songs, but in the beginning, like you said, you can piece in different musicians, different instruments, different mm-hmm. studios, different physical locations in different studios. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, or, you, or you might you might find that you you start trying to record a song with a particular set of instruments, and and you get an hour into it, and it's not happening. You know, and you right. if you have a couple people who can play different instruments, you just might go like, hey, you, why don't you play? Yeah piano instead of the bass and i'll play the bass and uh let's do let's do something else or i mean in in a more modern sense you might say here's a loop or or here's a texture sometimes all you need is um even a subtle ambient thing that everyone can push against and there's sort of like it's not the the complete silence can be uh, like backdrop of a recording can be beautiful or can be intimidating sometimes you need just a little something yeah. that uh, that fills in that space so it's not like a black hole and so um yeah you can go a completely different direction just by changing a few a few elements and it shakes people out of what they were doing and I, and i love when excitement sort of sweeps through a group of people who are working together and you all of a sudden you you gain this momentum and you get a great take in a couple of couple of passes and it becomes yeah. it becomes the one that one of my least favorite things to do partly because because uh, of my attention span is just is editing and piecing performances together or saying you know like we're going to use the drums from this verse and right, the, right. this this kind of so on and so forth and that that includes vocal takes you know yeah doing five takes of a vocal and going through and yeah uh, i mean I, I you don't do it the same way anymore but i've did enough records in the era of analog and then digital tape where you would have a chart and you'd go through and you'd say, yep. oh, this line was good from take three and this line was good from take five. And yeah. then you go and piece them together. With uh, tape and a razor blade. Yeah, or or, or you, you, would, you would have five tracks and you would be, all of them would be molted to a single other track Correct. on a tape machine and you would just, engineer would go punch in and essentially assemble the the final version of the vocal right um that's kind of mind-numbing <laughs> to me yeah. and also I, I feel i have a superstition about performance in that every little thing that you do that, that kind of layer that you pull away from the original performance compromises the the feel or the vibe in some way and i know that i've also made records that are very production centric my own music is that way but with singer songwriters uh with the human voice i feel like everything that you do that takes you away from that like initial spark of inspiration and performance uh compromises the emotional impact of it yeah assuming you have a good singer and a good song and a good performance 
Right. Those are a lot of assumptions to make, Dan. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but let's, let's keep talking about this. But first, I want to give people a taste of what you're doing now. Sure. Um, musically, you're doing these kind of, I keep, I'm, I'm at a loss for words to actually describe these things, improvisatory guitar explorations of some kind, I, I, correct? Yeah, all of, my, all of my music, even if it's not just guitar stuff, is kind of like a, a soundtrack without a movie. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of figured out lately that I can take a lot of this stuff that I would do in the studio, sounds and, and things, and I've figured out how to perform it live in a way where I can I can play a 30-minute set or a four-hour yeah. set. Yeah. Um, so let, well, let's hear something. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about how you assemble these things together versus something you do in the studio, for example. Great. Because uh, it's, you know, it's, they're similar, but not the same. Absolutely. So this is Dan Phelps. We're just going to call this improvisation number one, unless you think of a better title off the cuff. That's great. What did you call it? Career Destroyer number one or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that was a different one, but... Okay, well, this is... <laughs> okay, either way, this is Dan Phelps on Independence Day. He's improvising on the guitar with a laptop. Fancy stuff on Independence Day. Spacey. I feel like I should be looking at a Led Zeppelin poster, blacklight poster, or something like that in like my buddy's room in 1982 or did something. Did you did you revisit any childhood memories or unlock any? I did. I almost well, I you know I went to my place. We were talking before as you were recording these, <laughs> like you kind of go to the other place, right? You know, yeah. Which is an interesting thing. You know, people who don't perform music don't. I mean, I guess maybe athletes get into that zone in some way, right? But it's different for music. It's a different vibration, literally vibrations. Yeah. Uh, you get into a different kind of mindset or a different almost like paradigm or a different universe in a way. Yeah. You know, and it's a fun place to get into. So tell me, let's talk a little bit about this, having heard a little bit of that, what you do, uh, this live version of this kind of, it's like a live production sort of. Sure. Because I, you know, I can see you sitting here 
and if people can't see on the radio, but we brought in, or you brought in a laptop, mm-hmm. a guitar, a guitar amp, and then that's basically it. And then some other little like nerdy yeah, pedal board pedal stuff board and, and yeah. looping type stuff. Um, so how did you come upon this idea or how does technology facilitate that for what you're doing? Because it's something you couldn't have done even 15 years ago. Right. Uh, not the same way. I mean, uh, people like Brian Eno and Robert Fripp were doing a lot of really cool stuff with with tape machines, using multiple tape machines and tape loops. And, and so people have been um, pioneering this technology for a long time. There's a there's a hero of mine who's a guitar player and producer named David Torn, who has been, uh, since the 70s, has been kind of laying the groundwork for a lot of the stuff that is really common, even in popular music now. So people have been doing it. Um, the the ability to have it all in a backpack <laughs> is kind of what we have in the current day yeah. and age, um, which, which is amazing. The It came about for me because um, the way that I hear music, uh, uh, I think a lot about texture and um, a lot about moments and, and gestures, kind of like what are you trying to communicate and get across in recording. And I've always loved the mixing stage where you sort of get to make all of your final decisions. And you also, it's sort of the last stage where you have the ability to make big changes with what you're featuring. Uh, or how you're affecting something. So you might get to the bridge of a song and say, uh, this really needs to feel like we've gone from a like super close-up shot of the singer's face, and then you pull back and you suddenly see a vista. You think that they're in a tiny room, and then it pulls back, and they're in a giant space. And, and so how do you communicate that with sound? You know, there are ways of using reverb and delay and effects and all kinds of other things what frequency you're using to sort of create that feeling in a recorded piece of music. Uh, and um, people people like Daniel Lenoir, Brian Eno, you know, records. Peter Gabriel is probably my favorite artist of all time. And uh, his, his recordings communicate a mood and a space in that way um, really brilliantly. So I started thinking about as a guitar player and someone who plays on recordings, how could I kind of do that in the tracking process from the initial, um, the, the initial like gist of the idea of what the song is going to be at the end, you know, could I have the ability in a certain section to make a really big gesture, which would normally be something that you'd be doing at the mix stage. And could I perform that? So it sort of started from, from a recording standpoint, being able to play guitar and then process my guitar or capture bits of it and loop it, manipulate it, pitch it up in different ways and kind of create these these things, which is satisfying for me. Uh, but, but everybody benefits because all of a sudden, if you're the singer or the drummer or the bass player, you're, you're hearing this stuff and reacting to it in real time. So it kind of came out of that and it came out of doing a lot of improvisation with other people, sometimes just duo stuff where you want to be able to generate different sounds and that was definitely more in the avant-garde end of things Uh, and that's kind of where it stayed for a long time and then I had an opportunity to do uh, kind of a residency of extended improvisation uh, like sonic backdrop kind of shows in Seattle and I had a really good friend of mine 
playing piano and trombone, this brilliant musician named uh, Steve Moore. And he did it with me maybe two or three times, and then he had to go on tour. And, uh, wait, 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 correction. He got to go on tour. He got to go on tour, yes. He was <laughs> he was blessed with income. Important distinction. Yeah, um, yes, that's exactly what I meant. Um, and so I, I sort of, that's when I took the plunge of like, okay, well, well for, for a, a three-hour span of time, can I hold this down on my own, and can I figure out how to kind of take this thing to the next level? Uh, so, so that's what it is. It's for any extended amount of time, I'm basically, uh, playing guitar, capturing bits of it, layering it, manipulating it, uh, and, uh, creating problems for myself that I then have to figure out how to solve, <laughs> yeah. find my way out of it. Right, right, get your way out of it. Yeah. But in terms of technology though, I mean, was there new gear? Because like, like run down, because let's, let's nerd out for just a second. Sure, right? yeah, Because you've got your guitar plugged into what exactly? Okay, so my signal chain is that go from the guitar... To a pedal board. Yeah, to the pedal board. And the guitar, I play guitars that have a number of unusual... Modifications. Very custom features, including built-in microphones and noise generators and piezo pickups and stuff. Because uh, especially in this setting, the more texture i have access to from a playing standpoint larger palette yeah i mean and things that i can anything that i can touch with my fingers and get nuance out of i'm i'm all about that so i go guitar pedal board with kind of the normal assortment of stuff that everybody uses uh and then usually my my rig is i go from there into a head uh an amplifier an amplifier yeah um it's not a combo amp where the amplifier and the speaker are in the same box. It's a head and a separate speaker cab. And then I go through um, a device uh, made by a company called Fryette. It's called the Power Station 2. And one thing it does is it lets me set the amp how I want for the sound, and then I can control the overall volume for the room and the appropriateness of the gig. So I'm not like blowing someone's face off while they're trying to drink a latte. Um, but also from there, it goes to the computer. So it goes from... From directly from the head to the computer. Essentially, yeah. Uh, the reason I did that is that for 20-some years, I've been developing the relationship between the guitar pedals and the amp and how everything interacts, how the tube amp compresses and distorts when I do different things with the pedals. And going directly into the computer without an amp... Uh, totally ruined all of that because digital solid-state gear does not like to be distorted in the same way that an amp does. Um, so figuring out a way to get all of the texture and nuance of the amp into the computer was sort of the one of the big game changers for me. Yeah. Um, so it goes from the power station thing to the guitar cab, and that's just going out into the room and acting like I'm a normal guitar player. And then it also goes to the laptop and I'm using a program called Ableton Live, uh, which is a, a DAW, D-A-W, digital audio workstation that's really centered around live performance and, and a kind of an intuitive way of making music, uh, which I am mostly using it to host other plugins by other companies, delays and reverbs and distortions and stuff. And once you get into the computer, it's such an endless world of possibility in a way that's can be totally overwhelming 
because uh, you can do anything. Unlimited choices. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not I'm not about unlimited choices. I, I find that that's a detriment to creativity. So I kind of set some borders for myself with my setup so far. I'm sure it'll change, you know, in the next year, uh, and I'll get into something else. But but currently my setup is the guitar comes in, and I can send it in four different directions to four different effects chains kind of continually and I have a little controller that sits next to me so I can turn a knob rather than click around on the right. mouse um, and that lets me uh, play the guitar through a big spacious sweeping reverb with pitch effects or through a delay or through a really trashy distorted channel and I can continually vary that stuff so that it's very psychedelic it's not like turning an effect yeah. on or off it's like it's morphing also, there's a there's a looper uh, in the program, which if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's just it's basically like a little recorder that you can capture a bit of audio and it'll play it over and over again. And you can take that audio and pitch it up or pitch it down, play it backwards, uh, overdub on top of it. So that looper also is going to the same four effects sends. So I can sort of continuously vary where my guitar and where the recorded material is going all the time. Yeah. Uh, now that we've set all that up, yeah. let's hear another example of that. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, I just, I, I find these things fascinating. Because, I mean, I've got, I've done numerous things. Usually for me, it's like feedback and distortion and tremolo and a totally. little bit of delay. Like, that's yeah. where I do my exploration. Because I grew up on Pink Floyd. Good. Like, yeah. that was my big, big, big thing. And I love Radiohead now. And I do like things that mix. You know, Pierre Marchand is a producer that I really, really like. I referenced him before. Sarah yeah. McLaughlin's producer yeah. who will mix more traditional instrumentation with more avant-garde elements. And there's like a foot in both camps, which is my favorite way to do that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, and let's hear, this is Dan Phelps, my guest this week on Independence Day. DanPhelps.com is where you can learn everything about him. He'll produce your record if you like the way this stuff sounds. <laughs> Call him up. Give him some money. That's the way we keep musicians doing these kinds of things. So this, we're just going to call this an improvisation number two, I believe. And do, you have an, do you have an alternate name for this one as well? Uh, just It's it's just a uh, exercise in stunning originality. I there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to call this one uh, Death by uh, Accordion. There you go. Even though there's no accordion in it. Okay, Dan Phelps on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. I am the host and producer of this show. It is called Independence Day, T apostrophe S, as in the Day of Independence. We come to you Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Pacific time. You haven't figured this out by now. I wish you would. Got a lot of great <laughs> musicians on here, man. I, I work really, really hard to find interesting people to talk about making music in the new millennium. That's not a catchphrase. It's a legitimate thing because we're all musicians. We're still doing what we do, trying to find ways to get paid at doing this, trying to find ways to, you know, this t- still 12 notes. Yeah. handful of time signatures. Yep. And we're still making new stuff all the time. So, Dan, thank you again for coming in. And thank you so much for You're having me. You're in town me. for the NAM show. By the time this airs, you'll be back up in Seattle, I'm assuming, working on your next thing. Having slept some more, hopefully. Having slept some more <laughs> and like hit out with a pillow on either side of your head and duct yeah. tape wrapped oh around. If anyone's ever been to the NAM show, the National Association of Music Merchants, it takes place in Anaheim. At least it has for this past several, like 15 or maybe 20 years. It used to be elsewhere. Uh, it's every music retailer... Pretty much known to man, yeah, converges on one convention hall and tries to kill everyone with the sound of their coolest product. Oh, it's full on abusive. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's amazing and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, you walk around. I've been there. You walk around. It's like, oh, hey, there's Steve Vai. Oh, there's yep. jo- there's George Clinton and all of his dyed hair glory. There's Stevie Wonder. A video that circulated around this year, I guess. Stevie Wonder was walking in. And some kid was playing Superstition on his guitar. Mm. And Stevie's like, hey, 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 wait. I know that. And he uh-huh. got up on stage with him. Oh he looked gosh. this up on YouTube. So cool. And you know, Stevie counts it off. And like they play the whole song together. Like, What an incredible like melting pot of experience. Seriously. It, it's, it's one of the most confusing things you can yeah. participate in because there are, are such uh, highs, things like that. And then you also have the experience of like, a hundred simultaneous bass solos happening. So it's like, on, on the, if we want to go the negative side, to me, it's like Saturday afternoon at Guitar Center at like two o'clock times a million. Fully. Yeah. You know, every wanker known that's ever been is yep. there, like wanking on everything. Some of them are world class wankers. Yeah. You know, guys like Steve Vai and George Clinton yeah. and Stevie it, Wonder. And to add to that, it's like eight hours of that. So yeah, for three days. Yeah. And uh, you know, and then it's you know it's in, it's hobbyists and it's everybody, and it's not as easy to get a pass. It used to be kind of easy to kind of get a pass, at least for me. Mm. It seems like I used to have passes coming out of my ears, and now like they really like you could get a pass with someone else's name, and as long as you had the pass, you could get in. Right now, right. they double check things, and I suppose we live in a different world. That's true, security wise. Unfortunately, kind of sad. But uh, but man, the cool stuff, and the other thing I, I found at least is the cool nerdy stuff is in the basement. Yeah. Because like the big people can afford, the big companies can afford big booths up on the main floor. Roland, Fender, Marshall, Korg, uh, uh, Avid. Yeah. Uh, things I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But then the cool, crazy stuff, like the small tinkerers, mm-hmm. small amp companies, boutique companies are in the basement. And it's a little quieter down there. So that's where I would go. And it was, it was loud this time, though. Yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, I haven't been to the name show in about 20 years. Uh, so... Uh, you're also 20 years older Dan exactly yeah <laughs> maybe yeah I'm 20 years older and just and and more tired so <laughs> yeah volume's a funny thing because I think you can do a lot with volume I'm I'm no stranger to volume I like volume I yep. like my Neil Young you know I like my I mean I even like my Van Halen yeah you know I crank up drop dead legs and I'm feeling like I want to rock out totally but that said it's funny if you look my girlfriend likes music that's way more aggressive than I do mm. like I like quiet consonant pretty music right. a lot of the time it comes from the pink floyd thing i guess like music i grew up with it was made by paunchy middle-aged balding british guys <laughs> playing mid-tempo music anyway talking to dan phelps we're getting off topic talking about nam here did you have a eureka moment 
when you got all the like you you got the laptop stuff and you got the pedal board because you already had the pedals I'm assuming before sure, you started yeah, this yeah. whole thing. Like was there like a moment where like you you got a piece of gear like the Ableton and and like had a eureka like ah that's what I've been kind of working towards. Mm. Uh, it's it's been in stages. Uh, there, there's like several several boundary crossings like that. I did a I did a record uh, maybe ten or eleven years ago called Modular that kind of like my last record was based on improvisations. Um, but the personnel for that was a prolific drummer named Matt Chamberlain and uh, a brilliant upright bass player, any kind of bass named Victor Krauss. Um, and so... Allison Krauss's brother. brother yeah, not, her brother. He also, he works with uh, Lyle Lovett? Yep. Correct? Yeah, I, I don't know if he still is. He was Lyle Lovett's musical director for a long time. And just, uh, you know, I mean, I've seen some good upright bass players, but it, the way that he plays the upright bass just kind of seems uh, unnatural and wrong. It, you know, and it should not be that easy for a human to do that with such a big instrument. But anyhow. Jerry Douglas blows me away like that. Right. Like, yeah. I knew he was, the first time I went to see, plays with Alison Krauss again. Yeah. Uh, the first time I went to see Jerry Douglas, I expected him to be amazing and I was not prepared. <laughs> it's like going to see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Like, yeah. You're oh. expecting a big hole. But then you get there, and it's like it, it's it's orders of magnitude larger than you could imagine. That's the way he is on. He's like the Grand Canyon of the Dobro. Well, that's that's one of the the things I love about music and musicians and and humans is it's crazy that someone can manifest such ability and yeah. artistry. Uh, it just seems kind of beyond what should be yeah. possible. Yeah. Um. But for that for that recording, that was kind of the first time I jumped fully into the laptop thing. And I had my laptop synced to Matt's laptop, and we were kind of both generating things that were then in time and provided uh, in, in sync with each other, and they provided kind of interesting backdrops for what we could play against, which is really helpful. Uh, you know, the the by the time you reach the end of the second day of just improvising, you're kind of looking for something to yeah help you get to the next idea. Um, and then uh, I played and uh, I played on a record uh, for an artist named Sarah Groves, who is a um, brilliant Christian artist. I mean, she's not calling her a Christian artist, maybe sort of uh, boxes her into something that she wouldn't necessarily want to be boxed into, but she is a brilliant writer. Um, and uh, that was a really beautiful sort of group production maybe the only thing I've been a part of where there are five people equally contributing to a mm. record and it turns out great. Um, that's the first record that I kind of use this current system on where I was, like I said before, trying to create yeah. these gestures. Uh, and, and it was sort of, I, I tried it, it, it felt successful to me. Yeah. So that kind of opened the door to, to feeling like, oh, I could, this is a, this is a thing. It's not just. It's a system. It's not just something that I've kind of yeah. cobbled together, and I can, I can do this. And you can use it in a very musical way. Exactly. And musical, you know, music can be challenging sonically. Yeah. It can be uh, consonant. It can be dissonant. It can be all those things at the same time, which is what's so invigorating about what you're doing. Oh, and we'll hear you. another one of these in just a second. But I have one last question before we hear this next piece by you. Is like. Matt Chamberlain, if you're listening, man, I've been trying to get you on the show for years. I love that guy. He's one of my favorite drummers. He's unbelievable. One of my favorite drummers. Really quick story. I was living in New York City, and I knew him from playing with Edie Burkell and New Bohemians way back in the day. I was very familiar with the way he played. Mm -hmm. And Saturday Night Live came on. 
And this was back again before the internet. And I heard the drummer playing. And I was like, that guy sounds like Matt Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. I kind of, just his feel, this placement of the snare in, within the beat. And I was like, and I stayed up. I was tired. But I stayed up to watch the credits. And sure enough, his name came up in the credits. He had played in the band yeah. for that one year. So yeah. anyway, I mean, it's how I found out that about that kind of thing. But he lives out here. So Matt, if you're listening, please call me. I'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> Very creative show. We love talking about music here. So uh, let's get into one more song by you, this improvisational thing. This, I think, is the most consonant of the ones we're going to play. And I'm using that term very, very loosely. We'll call this improvisation number four. Yeah. People can check out the web extra to hear improvisation number three. Um, we'll, we'll think of an ad hoc title for that one as well. And it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a cover of Bill Frizzell covering A Hard Rain Is Gonna Fall. Yeah. So Okay, so this is uh, Dan Phelps, One Last Time on Independence Day. Thank you. 
cool Dan Phelps. I love that stuff, man. Thank it's you. Very, very interesting. Like we were when we were working this out. Like you usually do this for a lot longer than yeah. like three or four minutes. You do like twenty, sometimes twenty minute explorations or into four the hours. Space, yeah. Or four <laughs> hours. It's got to be very gratifying. Uh, it, it, well, it, it feels like a stupid human trick uh, yeah. to be able to do that and imp- be improvising almost the whole time. And you do these gigs because you're Seattle-based. You're just down here visiting us in Los Angeles. And come back and see us anytime. Yeah, The door is always open. We'll try to make the weather nicer for you next time around. But you do <laughs> regular gigs at uh, like uh, Storyville Roasting Studio. Is that, have I got that right? Yeah. Up in Seattle. Uh, live ambient music from like 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So it is four hours of that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. The next one's coming up on March 11th. That's Saturday, March 11th. If you happen to find yourself in Seattle, go get some coffee. Get wired up on coffee. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe bring a flask in if you want to go the other way around, you know, and <laughs> yeah. really get into the music. But from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., you can check him out, uh, Storyville Roasting Studio in Seattle. And then you've got another one of those coming up, same place, March 15th on Wednesday. And there's going to be some tours this year for a, a record of this kind of music that I'm releasing. Very, very cool. Dan, I can't thank you enough, man coming down here, taking time out of your schedule. I know what it's like to be traveling, and it means a lot to have you come and talk to me and our listeners about what you do. So please keep in touch. Absolutely. Let us know the next time you're in town, uh, and we'll make sure people know about your music. So visit Dan at danphelps.com. You'll probably find him. Also, on Twitter, of course, Dan P. Music. Yep. And, um, and sure Instagram. Instagram, and, yeah. you're all webbed up yeah. and all those kinds of things. So Unfortunately. Dan, thank you, man. I appreciate <laughs> thank it you. so very much. And keep making great music. Thanks so much. So thank you to Dan Phelps, also the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The melodious Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Miss Society. Maybe, Dan, you can redo it for us sometime. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.